This is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast, part of the Demcast family of podcasts. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. Today, as part of our town hall series in partnership with the Washington Indivisible Network and Indivisible Tacoma, we present a conversation with Island County Commissioner Helen Price Johnson. She is running for state Senate in the 10th Legislative District. This conversation was recorded live on the evening of Wednesday, September 9th. Helen Price Johnson is a three-term Island County Commissioner from District Number 1. She served two terms on the South Whidbey School District Board, and she is former president of the Washington State Association of Counties. She is running for state Senate in the 10th Legislative District, which includes North Snohomish County and all of Island County, as well as the southwest corner of Skagit County. Commissioner Johnson, hello. Welcome. How are you? I'm well. Thank you. What a pleasure to be with you tonight. Well, it's a pleasure for us to have you with us. And, you know, I, I think I would like to start here by talking about the stakes of your race. A number of pundits have said that they see the 10th LD as being a key district in this year's legislative races, a bellwether uh, district. How do you see the stakes in your particular race? Well, it, this is a very swing district. It's been represented mostly by Republicans for a while, but... Uh, Dave Paul was able to flip one of the legislative seats two years ago, and the demographics of the of the district have been changing and shifting, and so we have a great opportunity now to bring back uh, a Democratic senator if I get to be elected. And we hope that you do. Uh, I want to ask about something that is in the news, because the 10th has a large population of veterans. I want to give you the opportunity to speak to something. As most people have heard, according to a recent piece in The Atlantic, Donald Trump was heard on numerous occasions denigrating our war dead. I wonder, what was your reaction when you heard that? Well, I, we've heard similar remarks from this president for a while. I find them all appalling. Um, you're right about the 10th District. We have, uh, I think, the highest percentage of veterans in, in in, in Island County, I know uh, of all the all 39 counties, and it, though there's some that are also very high, we we have a lot of families who have for generations dedicated their lives to this country, and many of many family members who've given their lives for this country, and that deserves a much more respect from all of us, but certainly from the commander in chief. Well, and as Island County Commissioner, what are some of the things that you've done to serve our vets in the 10th LD? Well, it's, uh, as, as uh, you mentioned, I was elected in 2008, and it was the depths of the recession. We uh, worked very hard to address the needs of our indigent veterans and worked with uh, Angie Hamola, who's running for this, the state house. She and I served together during that time and really revamped the veteran services program so that we could better serve the needs of our veterans in need. We've worked very hard to expand that program. Um, making sure that they have access to outreach services of mental health, um, getting them connected with housing and medical. Uh, we've worked, we've tried very hard to get a veterans resource officer in our county, though we haven't yet been successful. But that's a program that I think needs to be expanded across our state. You mentioned that you were county commissioner during the Great Recession in 08. And I want to talk with you next about the pandemic and specifically the economic recovery, because I'm wondering, uh, given the, the pressure that uh, was created during that time and some of the things that you addressed as county commissioner, what did you learn during that time that you feel might apply now to the current challenges of uh, resuscitating our economy here in the state? 
Well, what, what I really learned is that to be able to preserve services, uh, you really have to use more of a scalpel than an ax when you're looking at trying to balance a budget. But in this recession, this economic downturn is, is a little bit different. The cause is certainly different. And we need to make sure that we're focused uh, keenly on our families and our communities. We need to make sure that the what budget cuts do get made aren't actually making the problem worse. And I think that by making targeted investments in things like infrastructure, we can keep people in jobs and uh, housed because right now they're there are a lot of people with a lot of housing insecurity. And if we can continue to make investments in our small businesses and our families, um, we can help get through this difficult time until we can get through the pandemic and, and get back on our feet. What we don't want to do is make cuts that are going to have longer term uh, impacts. Well, so you mentioned infrastructure investment. I'm wondering what you would like to invest in specifically and then how you see those projects boosting the local economy. Well, the, the need for infrastructure investment really isn't something new. It's something that came a long time ago. But right now, what we know is that the benefit would actually have short-term and long-term benefits. Um, specifically, we know there's need for filling in broadband gaps. We have students trying to work from home. We have families that are trying to uh, you know, telecommute. Um, it, our entire system is dependent on broadband right now, and yet there are places across the 10th district that are barely on dial-up. Uh, we have to fill that gap. Uh, thankfully, the state has started to take some steps in that direction, and I think we have a great opportunity. But I also think that there are other things we can do, uh, solar installations maybe, uh, transportation investments, that green infrastructure, uh, like building hybrid ferries that would have short-term payback for jobs and also really make us more lower our carbon footprint for the long term. Yeah. And in fact, on your website, you talk about incentives to increase renewable energy sources. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Well, I think a really easy one would be solar installations on public buildings. If we could make uh, investments that would actually lower the taxpayer dollars, uh, put people to work making the installations for solar. Uh, I mean, that there are, there are a number of other ones too, but um, I think that would have a, be, be a really quick way to keep people working and get a real good payback. Generally speaking, I'm curious to know how your approach on to the climate crisis differs from that of your opponent. Well, I'm very proud to be endorsed by the Washington Conservation Voters um, and by Hillary Franz. Uh, my opponent, though, even in just a short time being in the Senate, has a zero rating from the Washington Conservation Voters. He voted against the state emission standards. He voted against a reusable bags act. He voted against uh, aerial. He, he voted against limiting the aerial application of poisons in the forest, and um, and, and so I. I, uh, I have a very different approach. I think climate change is something that is uh, undeniable and, and uh, the most urgent need we have in our communities. And I do think that it needs to be part of how we do everything, not something that the legislature adds on, but it should be in, implemented into every road project. Every, should, should it be going through a climate lens of what, what's this going to look like? 10, 15 years from now, you know, if sea levels rise or how can we improve the management of stormwater with, uh, you know, more, more heavy storms in the wintertime or drought in the summertime, how, you know, start implementing that into every planning document. 
Right. And and related to that is housing and growth. I know that you see affordable housing as a basic human need. It is certainly one of the most challenging issues that we face here in the state. I'm wondering how you see the path to growing housing without impacting the environment. How do you see that trade-off? Well, the Growth Management Act was a great visionary document that kind of laid out the path. It didn't get funded or implemented uh, with the full force of what it needed. I mean, local governments don't have the tools to implement all of the needs of the Growth Management Act. We really need municipalities, particularly where it's already urbanized areas, to be able to accept that growth. Once uh, I mean, we, an investment, again, an infrastructure investment of uh, sewer and water lines would uh, or purchasing public the public lands or lowering the cost of the land is are those are the major barriers that I have found to expanding affordable housing as a county commissioner and I think there's some real innovative ideas out there but it takes unique partnerships and it does take public investment that's how we got all the affordable rents uh, for 30 years we had subsidized housing units in in Island County for instance uh, that came off the market just as the recession was hitting. Because they'd been they'd been getting tax credits for thirty years, they went on to the general marketplace and lost that subsidy, and they've never been replaced. So we really need federal and state investment to make that work. I'm also just continuing down this path, uh, talking about the climate. I'm interested to see how you feel sustainable farming fitting into all of this, because a large part of the tenth is agricultural. And I know that you recently went to uh, a farm tour in Whidbey to hear about sustainable practices to preserve farmland. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how that might inform your legislative work on the climate? Well, farmers really are on the front line of climate impacts. Droughts and, and heavy weather affect them immediately. Um, what my, my philosophy would be to make sure that the thing that we want to have happen be the easier path. So let's incentivize those things that we want, sustainable farming practices, organic farming. Instead of making it easier to put poisons in the land and scrape all the topsoil off, let's put the incentives on the other side so that we can actually make sure that we have farmland for our grandchildren and great-grandchildren. I do also think housing is a piece of, of this. A lot of our farmers are aging and we need you know, some creative solutions in rural areas. So this is one of those places where you need a little bit of housing outside of the urbanized areas to meet this need because younger families might want to take over a farm, but they can't possibly afford the whole property. Um, uh, one of the things that we've done uh, that I've made a high priority as a county commissioner is doing uh, using our local conservation futures levy to buy up agricultural development rights to preserve farmland so that the there isn't it takes some of that it takes that the development pressure away uh, from having to sell that land and subdivide it but preserves a building envelope so that the family or and maybe two families could live there and work the land make what you want to happen easier. I, I like that. I, I think that's a, a really great mm -hmm. philosophy. Uh, I want to shift gears a little bit here and talk about something that I know is uh, important to your platform. You've talked about the need for increased investment in mental health and addiction services. How would you like to see dollars better spent to address those needs? This, this has been a high priority for me. Um, I mean, one of the places where I've really focused my attention is is trying to keep people with mental illness out of the jail system. 
there, it, it's, it's difficult in many rural areas. There really are not other resources available. I'm uh, grateful that there have recently been more investments, but it's, where it's just a tip of the iceberg of what was needed. Uh, we're building a, a crisis center in Oak Harbor right now. That's state funded regional facility. It's open to San Juan's gadget, the whole region. So that there's an alternative to jails for people who are in mental mental health crisis or needing to detox. And then we can get the appropriate services to these people before they become criminalized and get into the spiral um, of the system. But that takes a lot, that takes upfront investment. The other thing that I think we can do is uh, make another program, an innovative program that we've championed here in Island County that I think would be, could be a model statewide is a partnership between our mental health uh, workers and our law enforcement. So they have a ride-along program that's addressing opioid crisis, taking and we have a public health nurse that's on call so that we can go out to where the people are that are struggling with, with addiction and build a relationship and try to urge them to go to treatment before they become, uh, you know, get caught breaking into somebody's house or something. And we've had a lot of success. Uh, you know, it, it's not, it's a slow process, um, but it really does help address that need. We, we need to make sure some of the cuts that were made during the recession at the state level were to mental health services. And we just can't let that happen, particularly not now. The pandemic has put a lot of people on edge. Anxiety and depression are at an all-time high. Circling back to where we began our discussion about, you know, where the tenth sits, uh, its role, as many perceive it, in this year's race, it, it occurs to me that a lot of your approaches to these issues, uh, you, you seem like somebody who can work across the aisle. Uh, I know that during your time on the county council and also on the Washington State Association of Counties, you are known to have worked in a very bi bipartisan way. Uh, can you talk about the importance of that to you personally, and, and especially in today's political climate? Yes, I um, I feel like we need to always enter a conversation with respect and civility. Um, we all come from our own point of view. I, I really uh, have not much patience for personal attacks because I don't think that moves the ball forward. Um, but I do think that by focusing on our communities, we can find common ground and move ahead in those places. We were not going to agree on everything, but there are a lot of places we can move ahead on with, with common uh, focus on common values. Most people want their kids to be safe and to have good schools. Most people want to be able to have access to broadband and to be able to live in a beautiful place and have clean water to drink. I don't know anybody who doesn't like those things. So I think if we can, we might come about it different ways, but I'm also a, a longtime small business owner. And so I'm, you know, I, customer service is kind of the, the way I approach a government. I, I'm, I'm serving, my customers are the citizens of the, of the county and hopefully of the whole 10th LD. And I, I work for them. And so I should be respecting and listening to what their points of view are because I don't know everything and they have really good ideas. Uh, so I need to be open to that. You know, this might go counter to the spirit of what you're saying, but I am curious um, how you see your bipartisan approach contrasting with that of your opponents. Well, my my endorsements uh, ban the across the state and uh, and are from elected officials of both parties. I am not seeing that kind of support uh, for in my opponent's uh, camp. And I, I have over a thousand contributions of individuals to my campaign. The major donors to my 
opponents campaign are major are big corporations. So I think that speaks to who we're listening to in the campaign, and that you can usually tell how people will behave in when you look at their actions. So I would ask people to look at how I've funded my campaign, how I've governed as a county commissioner, and the the bipartisan support that I've been able to receive. And I think that speaks, uh, you know, that that creates a contrast. We only have just a couple minutes left, but I want to get your thoughts on something that I know you're a big advocate for, and that's free early childhood education. Can you just talk briefly about the importance of that to you? Well, I, on my time on the school board, it was really clear that early investments uh, really pay big dividends. And and we are seeing the gaps in Washington State's education system uh are, there are still opportunity gaps, and particularly for um, for families of color and and um, and lower income folks that have fewer choices. And and these are things that have been exacerbated in the pandemic. I mean, I, I've heard of the recovery being shaped like a K, where you know people of means are doing just fine, and people with who who are struggling are doing worse. Uh, this early childhood investment is going to be a, a really important uh, focus for us, I think, as for so that this pandemic doesn't have longer term consequences for families for the forever. I mean, we, we need to invest in our young ones right now um, and, and try to keep keep them out of crisis going forward because we're they're having a tough time right now. It, it pays back sevenfold. And and when you get to the Senate, uh, we know that you'll have some strong advocates working with you on that issue, uh, Senator Lisa Wellman among them. I'm wondering, uh, speaking of getting you into the Senate, how people can uh, help people watching, listening, can they, they they can help your campaign? Well, I would love to have your everyone's support in, in my campaign that um, is listening tonight. You can go to my website at HelenPriceJohnson.org. Um, you can make a contribution there. You can endorse. Uh, you can leave a comment. You can contact me. We we have um, ways that you can email, you can text, you can write postcards. Uh, we have a phone bank every Saturday. You're welcome to join us. We're doing uh, no contact lit drops. Um, there are there there is a way to get involved for every everybody, and uh, I even have my brother in in South Dakota is writing postcards for us. So oh, and, wow. and and yeah, so <laughs> you don't even have to live in the tent. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And can we get a give them Helen sticker? Yes, we I, would be glad to give you a give them Helen sticker. I want one. That's awesome, Commissioner Helen Price Johnson. Thank you so you much it. for joining us tonight. We really thank appreciate it. Thank you so it. much for having me. What a pleasure. Thanks again to Commissioner Helen Price Johnson. Thanks also to Kat Pipkin with the Washington Indivisible Network and Julie Anjievsky with Indivisible Tacoma. And that is it for today. Our website is indivisiblepodcast.org and our email address is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative, Inc. and is part of the Demcast family of podcasts. Learn more about Demcast at demcastusa.com. Thanks this week to Catherine Fysears. Special thanks to Lori Kowal. And as always, my thanks to you for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.